Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. Today's guest is Matt Halpern of Periphery. He's also involved in a million other things. Get Good Drums probably being the most notable one. But you may also know him as the founder of Band Happy and the brains behind a lot of the kind of business stuff that Periphery does. Matt and I have known each other for a long time. We worked on a lot of stuff over the years. Starting back in, I think, 2014, I did a course with him and Kevin Lyman when I worked for Creative Live, and we just kind of instantly hit it off because, you know, within the world of music, he's without a doubt one of the best business minds, and, you know, just the fact that he replied to my email within 10 minutes or something like that, I was instantly like, okay, I like this guy. (laughs) We're going to get along. So I was really happy to have him on the podcast and talk about something that he's really helped me with a lot over the years. Really like the soft skills, the people skills part of this whole thing. Not to say that I've ever had bad people skills necessarily, but he has really fantastic people skills. And I think he does a great job of articulating why that stuff is so important to creators, to musicians, to people like that. So that's what we talked about in this episode. And I know maybe that's not as cool as drums and genting and eighth string guitars and all that stuff, but trust me, but trust me, this shit is important, so I highly recommend giving this episode a listen. Before I get into the episode, really quickly, if you want to help out the show, there's a few things that you can do. The first thing you can do is share it on social media. Make sure to tag me and Matt and our producer, Deanna. It's very hard to market a podcast because Apple and Spotify and these other platforms don't really do a lot to help. So if you can help us spread the word, that does a lot to help. Second thing you can do is you can support us on Patreon. Patrons get access to every episode a week early as well as some other benefits. So if you want to check that out, there's a link in the show notes. The third thing you can do is you can buy some merch if that's the kind of thing you're interested in. We've got some very nice t-shirts, some hoodies, some other stuff. There's also a link to that in the show notes. And also, I want to thank our producer and editor, Deanna Chapman. As always, if you have a podcast that you want to get off the ground, or if you're already doing a podcast and you just want to do it bigger and better, make sure you hit her up. Her information is also in the show notes. And with that out of the way, let's get into the show. Well, Matt, welcome to the show. It's good to talk. We haven't talked in a little bit, but uh, happy to have you on. So thanks for being here and welcome back from tour. You just got off the road. Well, not just, but kind of sort of recently got off the road. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, man, it's good to talk to you. I think it's funny. We're, we're probably both one of many people in each other's lives that like fall in and out at different times, but pick up, I would imagine, right where we left off. And I think that's like the nature of just like being an adult and being busy with like work and personal. You know, I've thought about it a bunch. It's like, oh, you know, I ha- like I miss you. Like I haven't talked to Finn in a while, <laughs> but it's like we're both just doing our thing. And I think it's really cool because I really haven't gotten to talk to you, how when you really decided on the direction for the Punk Rock NBA, how you ran with it and what you've been able to accomplish is 
pretty amazing. So it was the right move and the right decision. So I haven't talked to you about that, but that was definitely something I wanted to make sure I, I mentioned today is like, it's been very cool to see that like this was, you know, the right move for you and what you wanted to do, you've realized, which is great. Well, I appreciate it. And, you know, I think maybe this is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about as we were just talking about a minute ago is I think when you find success, it's typically when you let go of what you think you should be doing and just do what you actually are. And I think in my life, every time I've had a big breakthrough success, it's been that when I was like, you know, I've been pushing against the river for months or years or whatever. Fuck it. I'm just going to go with it and let the chips fall where they may. Every single time, that's when I've had a big breakthrough in my life. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it's not always easy to do that at all. No, it's hard. You have a lot of people in your ear and then we read things and we see other people doing things and it's like, oh, maybe this is the direction or that's the direction. But it takes a lot of introspective thought and then kind of finally listening to like that voice inside to just say, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. I'll go down this road, you know, because I, I think, and hopefully this isn't something that is kind of like, you know, like we shouldn't be talking about, you can let me know. But, you know, I know when we first started working together, one of your, the, the ideas and one of the things that you were sort of driven towards at the very beginning was like kind of getting a little bit away from music was focusing on creatives in general rather than just music creatives. And I think what's really good is that you kind of have now settled back into a balance, it seems like, where you can sort of provide a service for both, where your channel truly is focused on music, you know, like the YouTube channel. And and that's great because you know a lot about it. It would be dumb for you to like abandon it in any way because you are into music. You are a very knowledgeable resource there right so it's like why not take advantage of that and embrace that but then i think through the podcast what's really cool is that you get to sort of service those other places so it seems from the outside looking in that it's a nice balance now that that you've sort of been able to you know accomplish well it's exactly like we we're saying you just you are who you are and you can't change that and you know, there was a time, and I mean, I guess I still, I'm, I'm interested in a lot more things, as you know, I'm interested in a lot of things behind, besides music. I mean, I would say music is probably not even one of my top interests, but yeah, I know a lot about it because I've been balls deep in this stuff for a long time. Yeah, and as you said, it would be stupid to walk away from that. And I think about it the same as, like, when you see some band that won't play the song that everyone wants them to play, and you're like, dude, why don't you just fucking play the song? Right. Play the hits. Yeah, just play the fucking hits. Yeah, I get it that you wish people liked your new album, but they don't. So just play the fucking hits. And I've always looked at that and just shake, I'd shake my head and be like, why are you making things so difficult for yourself? And I don't, you know, and it's always easier to tell other people what to do instead of follow your own advice. But that's kind of the similar thing I tell myself. It's like people want the hits, play the hits. Yeah, if it works, that's the thing. It, it's, you know, you got into, like I think of a band, you know, you wrote that song at a time in your life where that was like, that, that was important. That was the song, you know? So just because you're in a different place now doesn't mean you should abandon the positive aspects of, of what that was. And I'm not saying you were abandoning anything. That's a very strong word, which I don't mean that way. I would say that was true for me. To your point, it's like in periphery, it's like we've avoided playing Icarus Lives, <laughs> like tour after tour after tour. And people always request that song. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, we should probably do it. You know, and I don't know if anything is 
like if it's a detriment in any way. But I certainly do know that like if we play it, that is a shoe in for like a really good four minutes of music at a concert. Well, why didn't you play it? Because everybody's sick of playing it. And it's like, <laughs> th- that's why. Yeah. Well, on the other hand, you do have to keep yourself happy. I mean, it, yeah. you, you can't be miserable every day. And so you do have to be selfish in some ways. I think, you know, there's that balance of like, you got to do what you want, because if you're not doing what you want, what's the point of doing any of this? But at the same. So to me, it's like, how do you find the place to be happy giving the people what they want? You know, rather than like gritting your teeth and doing it anyway, it's like I just try to think, you know, I'm flattered that anybody gives a shit what I have to say about anything. And I just try to focus on that rather than, well, I wish they'd pay attention when I talk about this or that. Well, okay, fine. But I'm instead just try to focus on being grateful that anyone cares at all. Yeah, right. Exactly. And yeah, and provide that service, you know, and and (laughs) it's funny, like we, we talk about misery. It's like. Playing that song is is it gonna make anybody miserable? Yeah, this is not the coal mines. Yeah, right. Or like, I think about a job like, and I don't mean to knock anybody here, but like, I think about like what a psychologist has to go through certain days. Like, if they're not having a good day, you know, when they wake up for whatever reason, or they're not like feeling it, but then they have a whole day booked of people coming in. You know, obviously it's gratifying, or I would assume it's gratifying to like be able to help people, but fuck. If you got your own problems to deal with, like I can imagine that being a kind of thing where it's like, this is fucking miserable. All I want to do is like fix my own shit instead of hearing somebody talk about, you know, their neuroses. Yeah. Or or like, you know, like a lot of my jujitsu training partners are cops and like they can't choose to like not show up today or chill and like, no, I'm just going to take it easy today. (laughs) Right. It's not an option. You got to show up every day because it's life and death. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine that. So. For what we do, we're um, pretty lucky that we we get to do fun stuff no matter what, you know, and then we get to like have the the first world problem of deciding to like go a certain direction or play a certain song. So I'd say we're pretty good. The most first world problem of all first world problems is what creative expression do I want to do today? Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. (laughs) All joking aside, I think it's very important to have that perspective because it's really easy to let yourself take it all for granted and go down a road of like focusing on the negative things and just, you know, you can ruin, at least I can ruin anything for myself if I want to. You can find fault with anything that's very easy to do, but for what? So I think that perspective is actually really, really important. I remind myself of that a lot. It's like, well, wait a minute. This thing that you're convincing yourself is a horrible big problem is actually not a problem at all. It's, it's a pretty good problem to have. Yeah, it's good to have that kick in the ass every now and then too of real perspective. A friend of mine made a post today on Facebook this morning that was like, in so many words, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. My life sucks. I really don't like where I am and yada, yada, yada. I've seen this person post a bunch of stuff like this as of late and it's somebody I know well. So I I just, I jumped in the DMS and I was like, Hey man, look, I know you're going through something, but let me just point something out to you and everything that you wrote. I see a lot of positives. Like you talked about hating driving to work. Well, you have a car. Yeah. And talked about like having a, a rough time in your relationship. But I was like, but you have love. And, you know, something, I forget what the other things were, but I was just like trying to like get them to see it differently. And it ended up being a really good conversation. And I definitely butted in where I shouldn't have. But, you know, at the same time, his response to me was like, look, 
I appreciate it because you're being brutally honest with me. And I basically said to him, I was like, dude, instead of like posting that you hate everything, why don't you just, because he basically said to me, he was like, I hate when people only post the positive. Like, I feel like that's, that's disingenuous to only post the positive. I said, well, you don't only have to post the positive, but you could also kind of change it by saying, look, I woke up today feeling like this, but here's the three things that I did today to try to get out of that. Yeah. So that maybe you're offering a solution to somebody else. Because I, I basically said to him, I was like, dude, a lot of people read your posts. Like by you posting all this depressing shit, what if you're like reinforcing depression for somebody else and making their life their life worse because all they see is negative shit? You know, offer them a, a small glimpse as to how you have figured out how to solve this and maybe – it's not disingenuous that way. You're still being real, but you're also talking about like the solution and that could actually help somebody. And I think I'm hoping I haven't resolved this conversation fully, but I'm hoping that that clicks. Yeah. I think a lot of people, obviously I don't know this person, so I'm not saying that's the case for, for him or her, but a lot of people use that keeping it real thing as kind of an excuse for being negative. And I think that's exactly what it is in a lot of cases. Yeah, it is. I just, I don't know if you're being honest, like if I'm being completely honest, it's like, you know, sometimes I like being in a bad mood because I get attention that way. Right. Sure. You know, my wife will pay attention to like that and she'll be like, well, what can I do to help? And like, that feels good to have that attention. But then I'm, I got this other voice in my head being like, you're being an asshole. An energy vampire. That's what it is. Right. You're being like, stop. And there's so many ways to get out of that, that I know of. And sometimes I just choose to live in it because it's like I'm being lazy and I'm being a <laughs> shithead. But the reality is, yeah, like it's not good to be that. So it's, it's yeah, it's better to, to figure out ways to get out of that. And I don't know, for people that like to be negative, it's like, sure, we get it. It's attention grabbing. But the attention coming to you is only going to last for so long before people are going to be like, wow, blocking you. <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. You're just a black hole. Well, speaking of, of ways to get out of it, I wanted to pick your brain about a few things that you've helped me with and that I think you can help other people with. One of which is basically the inherent struggle that a lot of creatives have of money and creativity. You know, there's a lot of people out there that want to make a living off their creativity and believe that they can and have the tools to do so. But the part they struggle with, I think more than anything else, is actually asking for the money and getting what they are worth. And I think you're really good at that. So that's kind of what I wanted to focus on. You've talked to zillions of people about this. What are kind of the patterns that you see there of people who want to make a living off of this? And then and then it's like, well, yeah, but I'm afraid to ask, or I don't think people will pay this or tell me about that. There's a, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of that. I see people that don't surround themselves with other people that are doing that for themselves as well. I think, you know, your community can be a, a really positive or really negative factor. Younger people, I think, unfortunately grow up in households with parents who are conditioned to, you know, take the safe route and that gets ingrained and that causes people to, to have a lot of self-doubt about their abilities. You know, then it's just like the fear. Well, what if I can't pay my bills or what if I you know, can't find anybody in my backyard or how am I going to do this when there's no one else around that cares about it? It's like, well, yeah, okay. But there's a lot of things that you have to be honest with yourself about in those situations. So I don't know. I mean, I have, I have answers that I give to people, but 
you know, I, I kind of look at it like one thing at a time. Like if you said to me, there's nobody in my backyard that I can provide my service to. Well, okay. Have you actually looked? Yeah. Right. How do you know that? Right. How do you know that? You know, and it's like, okay, some people will say like, well, I went to, and I went to this thing. I went to that thing. I looked on this online forum. I, I went here, I did this. And you know, I just feel like it's, I'm not part of the right community and, and like, okay, fair enough. That's, that's one thing. Yep. Then the answer is, well, then you kind of have to make a tough decision to pick up and go somewhere where you, you can inject yourself into that community. And that's a very hard thing for people to do sometimes, to, to leave their safe zone, to get up and go into a new environment. But I see people do that, take that risk all the time. And I can't think of one person who's done that that has not ended up being successful to some degree. Meaning like moving to another place where they where the action is? Physically moving, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one thing you can do. Now, granted, maybe that's not the first step. Like actually look in your backyard, you know, find, if you're an artist, find programs locally that support artists, find meetups that that you can go meet up with other artists, figure out if there's an artistic community somewhere, right? In your, in your area that you can get involved in. That's a great place to start. And if you've never done that and you've never tried, you can't say, well, there's no one in my backyard because you, you haven't tried to look. You know, that's an interesting point. I think a lot of this stuff is fear-based thinking about things that are imaginary. Like if I ask for this much money, people will think I'm out of my mind and laugh at me, or there's nobody that wants this kind of service that I do or blah, 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 whatever these things are. And if you say, well, how do you know that? The answer is I don't know because I didn't even try. And that's, I'm certainly guilty of that too. You know, like there's lots of times I've convinced myself, well, if I ask for this much, they're going to look at me like I'm an idiot. And then I remember there's one particular time I had this conversation with you and you were like, well, dude, just ask them for this much. It's worth it. And I did. And their response was, okay, sounds good. And so all that fear that I built up in my head was totally imaginary. It is. Well, and the the lesson there is like, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to say no. Yeah. And then they're going to move on with all the shit that they are worried about in their own lives. Right. Like. Yeah, we have a tendency to build up rejection as this massive thing, especially when it comes to business. But if you're in business, you're used to getting proposals left and right. You're used to people asking for things and you either know that you can afford it with your budget or you don't. So someone is either going to say no, but here's a counter because you've proven that your skills and your work and your abilities are worth this and we can foster a relationship or they're just going to say, no, fuck you. I don't want to work with you because they want to work with somebody else anyway. Right. Or they're going to say yes. And like you don't know until you ask. So that's the lesson right there. You have to ask for what you want. The worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to say no. And if you want to take it a step further, you can say, okay, can I ask you one more question and figure out, find out why your answer is no. I'm looking to see if my rates are too high or I'm looking to see if maybe you're just not interested in my particular offerings. And you can learn so much by just asking and then getting answers. And in fact, you kind of want to be told no a number of times because it builds up your your skin. It makes your skin thicker. And again, it gives you an opportunity to then ask questions about why are they saying no? And then how can you adjust if you need to adjust to be able to get people to say yes. And especially in regards to pricing, if your last 10 proposals were an instant, yeah, sounds good. What does that tell you? Raise your rates. Yeah. 
you need to hear no or else you're leaving money on the table. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can do A-B testing, especially like this kind of leads into this other side of the, the coin that I, I tell people all the time. And I can only really talk about it from my perspective. But when I made a decision to really go deep dive into being a professional drummer, I didn't just like wake up the next day and all of a sudden I'm a professional drummer. I still had to pay my bills. So I had to work shitty jobs to pay the bills, but those shitty jobs afforded me the opportunities to then go take other gigs, go build up a roster of students, go try out for bands, go travel on off times when I can take advantage of opportunities. Everybody expects to just like, you know, dive in fully and then it's like, oh, it's either works or it's not right away. No, like it's never going to work right away. But I guess my point is this, it's like, if you need to make money, but you want to be a creative and you want to build up a creative career in the beginning, you're going to probably have to supplement the creative job that you want with jobs that aren't necessarily creative. And you and I have talked about this a bunch, but I think like service industry jobs mm -hmm. are some of the best jobs available to people like that. That's why when you go to New York or LA, everybody's like, oh, I'm an actor, but I work at a restaurant. Well, why do you think that's such a good job for creatives? Because people would think, well, bartender, how is that going to help me as a creative? But I, I think it will. There's so many benefits to it. I mean, first and foremost, you're, you're meeting so many different people. You never know who's going to come sit at your bar, right? And you never know if you're providing a good service who you're going to strike up a natural conversation with, who you're going to end up networking with, who you're going to meet through that experience, right? Um, but I've always, I've talked about this a lot. I mean, bartending and waiting tables is a crash course in learning how to navigate personality. Because you, if you're working at a bar and you have 10 seats, each person at that bar is going to be very different from the next. And you're going to have to figure out how to provide a great service to each one of them. Somebody might be really quiet and you have to respect that. Somebody might want to talk your ear off and you're going to have to figure out how to get away from that person to take care of the other people. Somebody might be on a date and they want to be left alone, but they also want good service. You know, it's like, it's funny. They're, speaking of this, literally, there's a restaurant up the road that opened up that me and Natalie go to and there's a waiter there who we fucking avoid like the plague. And and here this is this is a perfect example. I hope he's not listening. That would be awkward. Oh, I hope he is cuz I <laughs> I like I I literally was like daydreaming the other day of the opportunity <laughs> to tell him what I thought. But like th this will explain his personality right right here. So, we got a table at the bar and I went to the bathroom and while I'm at the uh, at the bathroom, he comes over to Natalie and instead of being like, hey, like, can I get you something to drink while you wait? This is how he comes over to her. How you doing? Oh, no. <laughs> so we literally got up and got a new table. But you know what I mean? It's like that. It's like, don't be that. And anyway, I know that's kind of a different topic. but Well, but I think the larger point is that as a creator, your job is not just to do the thing. It's also the service aspect of it. It's dealing with, like, dealing with the relationships and the you know human dynamics is actually the hardest part of it. And doing a job like bartender or waiting tables is a really good way of practicing those skills. Right. And you can't, you know, like what if I was a crazy meathead and like this guy comes up to my wife and says that she tells me, and then all of a sudden I like roid rage out and beat the shit out of him, which I wouldn't do, but you're right. It goes back into the service aspect of the creative job, because if you're, if you're providing a creative service pretty much every time, unless 
you get to a point eventually where you can be the creator and then you have somebody else dealing with the customer relations, you're going to have to do the customer relations for a long time. And so much of that with the creative business is one, being able to take criticism because let's say you're a designer and you present three logos to your client. There's a good chance they might not like any of them. Yeah. But there's a good chance too that you're on the right track and then they have to come back and say to you, okay, well, I don't like this one. Here's what I like about this, but it's not there yet. This one's dog shit. Your job is to not get defensive and defend the logo. Your job is just, is to take the criticism and say, okay, great. Thank you so much for directing me down the right path. We're getting there. I'm going to come back with three more and then we'll go from there. You learn how to interact in that way. And if you don't have good interpersonal skills, like I, I don't know how you can provide a good service because if you are defensive, if you come back and say, well, I don't know why you wouldn't like this one. It's fantastic. They're going to say, okay, well, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're going to, it's going to be over real quick. Yeah. I'm laughing because I, I can think of myself doing exactly that, you know, when I was 23 or something like that. And, you know, people giving me feedback and me kind of arguing with them about why they shouldn't have that opinion. And I'm imagining them, you know, fortunately, they were professionals who were able to hide it. But in their head, I'm sure they were thinking like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I'm, I'm paying you to do this. I'm not asking like this isn't right. this isn't a democracy. I'm paying you to do something. Right. So much of this is having that sort of emotional intelligence to understand that it's a very sort of subject subjective thing for people when you're creating something for them right and in some cases it doesn't fucking matter like if you're a band and you're creating music yeah not everybody's gonna like it but hopefully you're not creating music at that point to get people to like you you're just doing it because that's the music you like and that's who you are and that's what you want to do. But if you're, if you're again, starting up like a design firm and you're doing graphic design and you're coding and you're doing things like that where you're building logos and websites and all sorts of different things for businesses, I would say equally with your talent and ability is being able to manage the customer relation. Yeah. And that's something that by working – in a service-based industry, you start to learn about different personalities because there's going to be the person at the bar who sends something back and says it this way. Yeah, listen, I know it's not your fault, but it's just, I don't really like this. Is it possible to send it back? Can I, can I maybe try something else? That's going to be a client who, yeah. who, who says to you, listen, like, I really appreciate you giving me these designs. I think they're cool. But they're not there yet. Maybe can we try this? Can I try something else? It's the same thing as sending back their sandwich. Right. Then you're going to get somebody who says, this is fucking dog shit. I don't want this. I don't care. Send it back. Take it off my bill. And that's somebody who's going to, who you're going to work with one day too. And you're going to have to be able to figure out how to manage that person's expectations. And then there's the person who's like, they don't eat their meal, but they don't say anything. And yeah. you don't really can't really get much out of them and they just don't want to interact. And then you have to take control in the right way to help them decide what they want or how they want to handle the situation. So, and that's just three examples of so many different quirks that you're going to run into with different people. Um, but that, but the other side of this coin as well is working these kinds of jobs. If you're good at it can mean big bucks. Like you can make really good cash doing these jobs where you only work a few days or a few nights a week. And the rest of that time, 
you can be solely focused on your creative job. And if you really can do it the right way and you really accept that there are benefits to both sides, eventually, you know, you spend way less time on hopefully way less time on the, you know, the bartending waiting table job and you get busier and busier with the creative stuff to where eventually you can cut that other job out completely. But that could take years. But one of the reasons I like that approach is because I think it's very important for creatives of any kind to manage their portfolio, specifically that, you know, as my uh, my friend Chase Jarvis told me a long time ago, the kind of work you put out is the work you're going to get asked to do more of. So if you're taking on shitty projects out of desperation just to pay the bills, guess what you're going to get asked to do more of? On the other hand, if you're paying the bills with bartending or whatever, that enables you to say no to the shitty projects and only pursue the ones that will actually help you build a great portfolio, even if they're not necessarily the highest paying. And so you're playing the long game there of, yeah, maybe eating a little bit of shit now, but it's going to set you up for future success by building a really great portfolio that's going to attract the kind of people you really ultimately want to work with. Yeah. Well, and that, that should be the mentality. If this is who you are, like if you are being honest with yourself and this is what you want to do with your life for the rest of the foreseeable future, then you should be able to take a deep breath and go, okay, fuck, I'm doing it. I'm not maybe doing it a hundred percent the way I want, but like by doing it the way you just described Finn, eventually long game, you will get there and you should be able to sleep at night knowing that like at least for a portion of your day, you got to create. Well, how long did it take you before you were making a, you know, a living as a drummer where you weren't sweating about paying the bills? Years. I don't even know. I mean, like years and years and years, probably 10 years, you know, if I'm really thinking about it, because prior to joining Periphery, I was, you know, I was teaching at home. I was gigging playing cover gigs, making, you know, 100, 200 bucks a pop there. Um, I was, you know, doing stuff like that, like that service, the musical career. But I was also waiting tables and bartending three, four nights a week. And then when I joined Periphery, luckily I was at a restaurant where the owner allowed me to go on tour and then come back and bartend and wait tables three or four nights a week. Even when you would join Periphery, you were still doing the, the other gig. Oh, for like four or five years. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and that's the thing. And then I had to figure out how to take advantage of my time on the road. And now this might be very specific to what I do, but you know this very well, Finn, like every day on tour, I carve out a couple hours to teach, which is something I enjoy doing. It's another skill that I have. It's another thing that I enjoy. It is a creative process because I get to help students figure out how to get over their challenges. You got to be creative with that. But I looked at the main focus, which was being in a band and playing drums every day. And I thought about that lifestyle and I said, okay, well, I'm not going to make money from being on tour for a long time and I'm not waiting tables to supplement the income I, I was you know, getting at home. So what else can I do? Oh, well, I love to teach. Maybe I can teach on tour. So I started offering lessons on the first tour I ever did with Periphery. And I teach at the venue and I do it every day. And I've literally been doing that for like 10 plus years while on the road with the band. And that's just one thing that I do now, present day, every time I tour, 
to help supplement my career still. It's just a different version of waiting tables, right? Now, it's less eating shit because I really love doing it. But I guess my point is like that mentality of being scrappy and finding little pockets of space within what you do to then offer another service or another product to help kind of fill your day to, to make the basket bigger, you know, to, to fill it up more, to make it heavier. It's like you, you, there's so many things you can do if you look for it. Well, you have your hands in a lot of stuff. And I know some of these things you may not do anymore, but in the time I've known you, you've probably had your hands in like 10 or 12 different, like, you know, pretty legit projects. And you're one of the only people I know who's able to take on that many things without it being just a complete disaster. What enables you to be able to have your hands in that many things without it just being a shit show? Two things. One, I've had great, great people and partners in almost everything I've ever done, whether it's worked out or not. I've had people that can do the things that I suck at and they do it better, way better than me. So that's a huge piece of it. But then secondly, I've only really tried things that I'm genuinely interested in. And over time, I've talking about being honest with yourself, right? I've learned how to be very honest with myself about the things that are a flash in the pan interest that's not really going to last versus an interest that truly is something that I want to be doing for a long time. What would be an example of one of those flash in the pan things? When I started Deep V Apparel, when I had the, you know, the, the clothing company, like that was fun. It was a cool idea, but like I had no real interest in starting a a clothing line when I was honest with myself about it. When you're like, what would it really take for me to do this like for real? Right. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But then, you know, look at Get Good Drums, which is a software company. I looked at that and I was like, man, I I really love the, I love every aspect of this and I love what I get to do here. And like, there's no question in my mind as to whether or not that's going to be part of my daily life as long as I can make it part of my daily life. Same with the band, right? Same with teaching and the other interests I have. Even, you know, it's funny. Like we talked about, I'm drinking my coffee and I'm, I'm really been getting, I've been into coffee for years, but I'm really getting more and more into it. With that, which is a genuine interest, I'm looking at ways to figure out how to either save money or make money. And I, I've contacted coffee uh, roasters. I've contacted the company that provides the... Um, the hardware that I use to make pour overs and cold brew. And I've said, Hey, look, I don't hit up everybody to be an influencer type, but I'm genuinely interested in this. Do you have, and this is the asking the question thing. Yeah. Do you have influencer deals that you typically offer? I'd love to figure out a way to work with you because I'm genuinely interested in this. I do it with my dog's food. I started working (laughs) with that company nom nom as a quote unquote influencer. And I, you know, I get a discount monthly on the food for my dogs, which is amazing because it saves me a, a ton of cash. And it's something I'm really actually passionate about that I've done a ton of research on. Like I've gone through company to company to try to find the best fit for the dogs, the best food, the thing that doesn't upset their stomach, going all day about it. And you're a big dog guy in general. A big dog guy in general. So it's an authentic interest that I then looked at from that different lens of saying, okay, this is not only an authentic interest. It's something that I'm going to care about for a long time. How can I actually turn this into something that could in some way be lucrative? And I think that's that scrappy mentality that I developed over the years of, you know, through everything that I've done is to try to figure out like, what interests do I have? What talents do I have? 
how can I combine the two so that like day to day I'm doing fun stuff that is lucrative and then is also enjoyable. And I think that's the key, right? Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little, little taste of it, right down to the shaking microphone and all. And my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics... Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe for Grind podcast. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like, dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. Let me ask a specific tactical question here because I've seen this is something that people are not good at is how to do that cold outreach. So obviously you as somebody with a big following, you know, that kind of that kind of changes things to some extent. But let's say that you're someone who does not have a big following. I'll give you an example of the kind of outreach that I get sometimes and and you'll immediately understand why this is not a good way to do it. Maybe you can help understand the right way to do it. So someone will send me a message like on LinkedIn the other day, and I apologize if the person is listening, but they said, uh, I have a business proposal for you. 
the end. Hmm. And I said, okay, tell me more. And they said, you know, it's blank. And blank is a business idea that doesn't really tell me much. And I said, well, can you send me a deck? It's blank. Can we set up a call to discuss? And I said, well, do you have a deck or something like that you can send me? And then if it makes sense, we can set up a call. Well, I'd rather just tell you on the call. And at that point, I was like, in my head, I was like, this has been too difficult already. I'm going to pass on this. Right. And I don't even know what the proposition was because we never even got that far. If you were that person reaching out to someone like me or, or one of our friends, how would you do that? Well, I wouldn't reach out to anybody or any company that I didn't genuinely have an interest in getting involved with in some way. And I wouldn't reach out to anybody that I wasn't truly familiar with, right? It's funny. I saw somebody posted, I think it was in the Punk Rock MBA Facebook group about a guy who was sending out cold call emails to like every, like like the same email. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, like that's a wrong way to do it. Yeah. For sure. Especially if you're sending it to 10 people who all know each other. All know each other. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not smart. You know, it's hard to say without a specific case, but I can give you like the two most recent cases where I did this myself. I can tell you how I did it and what I did. So the first one I did was with this company, Nom Nom, who makes the dog food. I went online and I uh, went to their Instagram and I wrote them a message and I said, hey, listen, I am already a customer, which I was. I had already bought in. I'm a customer. My dogs love the food. I post about my dogs all the time. I get a lot of great responses about it. I would love to help spread the word any way I can. Do you typically have a program where you work with people like me? If so, let me know. If not, I'll continue to be a great customer. So the first thing you did was establish some sort of genuine, I don't know what the right way to say it, like show that you had a specific interest in their company, that this isn't just a copy and paste thing you were sending to everyone. Correct. Yeah. And I bought in, you know, and like I've, I had posted about it already before. So the response that I got back was like, Hey Matt, like, that's awesome. Thank you so much for being a customer. I wish you would hit me up beforehand because we do have an influencer program and your first order, it ends up being free of charge to see if you can, you know, it's like a tester order. And I was like, Oh, well, that's all good. Like, I don't, you know, I'm, I don't mind. It's all, you know, yeah. anyway, we worked it out and we, we went back and forth over a series of, of days and we figured out a really cool, uh, arrangement where I genuinely am happy to spread information about their company and what they do. And they're genuinely happy to have people like me who are genuine dog lovers, who are researched, who have done this and who are actual customers talk about it. So that's the one thing. And it's a similar thing with this company, Ovalware. They have like a cold brew maker. They have a pour over maker. They have, I have it right here, actually. They have a uh, pour over. Hashtag ad. But I bought all their stuff already. And then I posted about it uh, on like a story post like this. You know, I tagged them in something and they hit me up. They were like, hey, Matt, like, thanks so much. Here's 10% off your next order with us. And I was like, okay, that's awesome. Thank you. And I said, well, that's great. You know, I pretty much have everything already, but <laughs> hey, if I can help in any way with testing out new products that you might release or talking about your stuff further or whatever in the future, I'd be happy to because I genuinely like your products. We're still working through that, but I guess here's the right way to go about this stuff. So let's say I was trying to pitch you, Finn, on an idea or a video for your channel. Well, the only way that I would ever do that is if I were a genuine subscriber 
who really enjoyed your content and I guess was inspired by what you had to say. And I would lead with that. I'd be like, hey, Finn, I'm a subscriber to your channel. I've been watching for a year and I love your videos and I've learned so much. And I'm wondering if there's ever an opportunity to go over this idea that I had. I don't know if you ever typically you know, receive stuff like that, but if there's ever an opportunity for me to share what I'm thinking about, please let me know because I'd love to talk to you about this idea that I have. Thanks very much. And I would make it very, very genuine in the beginning. I wouldn't push anything on you. I'd ask. Yeah. Can I send you more information about X? Right. And then you'd be like, yeah, sure. Go for it. Like, And then at that point, if you give me the opening, you better believe that I'm going to do my best to like present myself in the best possible light. Like, If it's an, an idea that involves having a deck, I'm going to make a deck. And I'm going to be like, yo, Finn, here's this deck. Like, I can... You can read it yourself or if you'd like, you know, we can set up a Skype call and I can walk you through it. But here's my idea. Like, take it. Let me know what you think. All good either way. But thanks so much for for being open to it. There you go. And then you do it in steps. So I think the important part of that step that you kind of hit on is to give people and the same thing you did with these other companies is to give people a specific thing to react to. Yeah. Not just an open ended like hey, is there some way for us to work together or whatever? You give them a specific proposal, which they may they may not re, they may not go for that proposal, but at least it's something to react to. Yeah. How would you approach back when you were doing Band Happy, which for anyone who doesn't remember is uh, like basically a way for artists to book and give lessons while they were on tour, like a warp tour, if the drummer for Neck Deep wants to give drum lessons during their, their downtime. How would you approach an artist that you didn't know and you didn't really have a strong connection with to, to work with Band Happy, for example, which is a fairly, I don't want to say complicated, but it's not super straightforward. Yeah, it was a pitch. Well, there's there's one thing that I had working in my favor, which was that I had common ground already in that I wasn't just like some stuffy business guy reaching out to an artist, right? I'm in a band that tours. I'm a drummer. Um, I've been in this world for a while. We both have that camaraderie, whoever I was reaching out to, as a starting point. And that's fantastic because it, it kind of, they can expect that I'm not going to be a noob or like somebody who's really green talking to an artist. that's going to yeah. like hit them up for a photo at the same time or something. Right. So that helped. But no, look, I would, I would say, Hey, listen, like, you know, I understand what you do. I created the service to help people like myself. Maybe this can be good for you. I'd love to tell you more about it. And here's what it is, right? Here's the service that I provide. Here's the benefits of it. For, for you and the people you'd be working with. And if that sounds like something that, that you'd be interested in getting involved with, I'd love to have you on. What questions do you have, if any? Happy to answer them. You know, you keep it very light, very simple. And with anything you're pitching, you need to be excited about it genuinely, which I was. And I was also living and breathing proof that like, or, well, I shouldn't say proof. I was doing it. Like I was teaching on tour. I was teaching over video chat. So when I'm pitching these people, I'm not doing it from the high road, letting all my little minions do the work for me. Right. I was literally doing the job that I was asking, you know, trying to pitch to them to do as well, which really benefited in that case. There was a lot of benefits to them and very small benefits to me. You know, like the percentage that that if if somebody taught on band happy, the percentage that band happy was taking 
out of that service was so minuscule in comparison. I think it was like 15%. Yeah. You know, so if someone taught a lesson to a student for a hundred bucks, Ban Happy made 15 and the teacher, the artist would walk away with 85 bucks for a 45 minute session. Like that's pretty awesome. Very much in their favor. Yeah. It was weighted in a way that that was easy to pitch to. And then there's just so many benefits. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it just depends on what you're trying to do. But I think here's the biggest thing, right? Going back to that initial topic, it never hurts to ask. I can't tell you how many times I've asked for things, you know, just genuinely and have gotten yes responses. But if I didn't ask and I let that self-doubt get in the way, I would have never gotten a response. Kevin Lyman, who was the founder of the Warp Tour, was an investor in Band Happy. He didn't invest in Band Happy just because I got lucky. I, I searched out how to reach him. So you, you guys didn't know each other beforehand? No, not no, not at all. I found through channels friends that knew him who knew me and vice versa. And like it took time, but I was able to eventually, through the Band Happy platform, pitch him through video chat and prove that the system worked, right? Mm-hmm. It, it could have gone either way, right? He could have said yes or no. But like if I didn't try... I would have never found out that one, he was interested, two, he thought it was a great program, and three, he was going to say yes to becoming a partner in the company and help me immensely. And, and if, like, he if I said, said oh, if he Kevin said- Lyman, there's no way I can reach that guy. That's impossible. Then I would have shot myself in the foot before I ever even asked, and little would I have known that it would have been totally possible and actually be a reality. Sure. And if he had said no, you go, well, I pitched Kevin, he he passed. Yeah. And you know Life what I would goes have thought? I would have followed up, you know, which we've talked about a lot, but I would have followed up and I would have said, Hey, Kevin, thanks so much for your time. If you ever have a minute to respond to this, please let me know what I could do better. What can I do better in my pitch? You know, is there a reason why you decided not to, to move forward with us? I'm not asking so that I can sway you back into it. I'm asking because it's going to help me moving forward with other presentations. We have talked about this a lot, but I, I'm going to ask you to repeat yourself again because it's such an important point. How do you find the line when you're following up with, with people? How do you find that line between being persistent in a way that's helpful to them, like reminding them like to check on this thing and being a punisher? Because you definitely don't want to be a punisher. It, setting the expectation, right? When you when you reach out the first time, you set the expectation that you're going to follow up with them in X amount of time, right? So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna send a cold call to somebody, I'm gonna say, "Hey, here's who you are. Here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing. Thanks so much for your for, for your consideration." I understand that you're really busy and you may not get to this right away. So just so you know, I'm gonna set a notification on my calendar for two weeks from now or a week from now. And I'm going to follow up with you via email then. And uh, thanks again. See ya. You know, it's like, it's setting the expectation. It shows that you're on top of things. It shows that, that you respect their time and understand they're busy, but it also shows that you want to be persistent without being like, Hey man, here's what I do. Can I ha- can can you get back to me? And then like two days later, hey man, not yeah. sure if you read this or not, but um, you know, can you get back to me? And then it's like a week later, hey, haven't heard from you. What's going on? Yeah. Especially when they get pushed in, like I put a lot of effort into this, so I really think you should look at it. Yeah, it's it's also not ha- to your point. It's not having any expectations. Nobody owes you a goddamn thing. Yeah, they don't. You know, so it's like you can't expect people to react the way that you want them to when that's not life. That's, but that's, again, that's why in some cases knowing how to be reactive 
to personalities and to rejection the right way is very important. Getting back to the bartender thing, how do you kind of read when it's when someone is just genuinely not interested, even when they haven't said, I'm not interested? How do you read that and go like, all right, I guess this one's dead in the water. I'm going to let it go. I mean, it's a vibe. It's their amount of communication. It's a lack of body movement. I mean, it's nonverbal communication. A lot of it is like being able to see somebody and be like, okay, they're not smiling. They're not really engaged. Their arms are crossed. I didn't make them laugh. They're obviously on their phone. They're focused on something else. All right, good enough for me. I'm going to just, I'll let them know. Hey, listen, you know, I'm here. If you need me, let me know. Otherwise I'm just going to like serve the food, give the bill, whatever, and not engage. You know, it's like body language is huge, but if you don't have the, the luxury of being able to see somebody and how they are reacting to something, then you have to kind of, it's interesting, but like you kind of have to go off the tone of responses that you get, which is a slippery slope because, you know, you might get a very short response from somebody, but that doesn't mean they don't have a smile on their face when they send it. Yep. But that's why you should always do your best to present yourself positively with good intention short and sweet, understanding that people have their own lives and they have their own shit they're doing and you're not the most important thing. And you need to kind of get in, get out, leave your mark. And if you need to follow up, you set that expectation and you do it again. And then at some point, if you don't ever hear back, you do one more follow up where you say, listen, hey, you know, um, very short and sweet. Like I've reached out a number of times. I just want to say thank you so much for reading it if you have. I understand you're probably very busy and not interested. If you are ever, you know, here's my information. The door is always open. Thanks. And then you put it to bed. Yeah. Well, uh, you actually made another great point there, which is something that I continue to work on and need to continue to work on, which is making sure that when you as the, you know, creator or salesperson or whatever, make sure that all your nonverbal communication is sending the message that you actually intend to send. For example, I know that I can come off as you know, standoffish or, you know, angry when I'm not at all. And like, like my old, uh, you know, like Chase, when, when, uh, I remember a couple times when he would be talking to me and my coworker, NASA, did you ever meet NASA? No, I, I think I may have talked to her yeah. once or through you. Yeah. Anyway, so her and I are very similar personality types. And I remember there's a couple times where he would present something to us and then he'd be like, it looks like you guys hate this idea. And we're like, no, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, okay, well, you're just looking at me like you think I've, like, I just farted in church. And we're just like, yeah. We had just inadvertently sent the wrong signals with our nonverbal communication. And that really is like a wake up call to me that, like, I need to make sure that I'm not accidentally telling people to fuck off with my body language. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to those type of service jobs because you have to make people feel good. Especially like, okay, like if you're working at a restaurant, the food is important, the drinks are important, but the experience they have is important. And if you come over to them like a curmudgeon and you're just like, what do you want? They're going to, even if you're in the best mood ever, that's just your way. Like they're going to be kind of turned off. Doesn't matter how good the food and drinks were. If you were an irritating, unlikable person, they're probably not going to have a great experience overall. Right. But you also don't want to be the guy who's like, how you doing? Which is too much. It's just like realize that, you know, look, you're when you get home at night and you're by yourself or you're with your closest people and you're not 
needing to provide a service in that way. You can be however you want. I do think that there is some level of needing to turn it on and like, you know, turn on the professional mode when you're in a professional setting because other people are doing that. And it's not necessarily the best move to be the anarchist in that setting when you're coming up. Yeah. Well, what if someone says, well, that's that's just who I am. Didn't you tell me to be myself? I don't want to be fake and put on this air that's not me. Isn't it fake to do what you just said? There's a balance, right? You can communicate either verbally. You know, it's, it is a hard question to answer, but it's like, my answer would be like, sure, you can choose to do that, but like you have to realize that most of the world doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. And there is a and there is a, a balance between being yourself, you know, choosing to do what you want to do and be who you are versus being a team player. And briefly, somebody in my life who I'm close with just had to fire one of their employees who's been with them for a long time. The reason why that person got fired was because of exactly what you're saying. They were not willing to be a team player. They were not willing to play the game even a little bit in order to make other people's lives better. And they might have been very good at their like actual skill. A hundred percent. You know, the numbers spoke for itself in terms of like that. But at some point when you're making everybody around you hate you because you're an asshole or you're just like, you know, you, you are the anarchist, it's not going to last. So there's a balance, like there's a way to do it to where it's like, okay, you don't have to be the loudest guy or girl in the room and you don't, you know, you don't have to like get everybody to like you, but you got to be pleasant and pleasant enough that when people need to come to you for a work project, they feel comfortable doing so, right? Hey, like I need to work with this person today. It shouldn't be, oh my God, I have to go talk to this person. They're like miserable and I want to pull my hair out. You have to make the effort. Yeah, I, I think of it as like being the best version of yourself. Like, again, what I realized is that in the past, I've been intimidating to people and they didn't want to approach me about it, which is, I, I mean, I'm not like that at all. I'm a very like approachable person. I like to help people. I like to work with people, but I had somehow accidentally sent the message of like, fuck off, leave me alone, don't ask me your stupid question. Right. What else did you do to better yourself when you, when you realized that you weren't necessarily at the time the best networker or the best speaker, instead of just saying, well, you know, this is how I am. Fuck you. Take it or yeah. leave it. What did you do? Well, it, so it was like specifically when I when I, like when I was working at Creative Live, I realized some people found like found me intimidating like that and sort of not that they thought I was a jerk, but just like they thought I was like, well, I'll just leave him alone. He doesn't want to be bothered. So what I did was I made an effort to make small talk with people in the morning when we were all getting coffee and, you know, because we had like a kitchen there. And so I'd make small talk with people, which is not, I'm not a big small talker. It's not like I'm too good for it or something. It's just, it's just not my thing. But I care about having relationships with people. And so, you know, I guess somebody could say it's fake, but to me it's real in that I genuinely wanted to get along with these people and I like them. And I actually felt I was embarrassed that I came off as like, you know, a standoffish, off-putting person, I was I was embarrassed by that. I was like, man, I made myself look like a dick. And I would make small talk with people about whatever unrelated shit, just, did you see the Seahawks game? How was your weekend? How's your dog doing? I know he had surgery. You know, that kind of shit. And that changed everything. 
Like just one five minute conversation with somebody is enough to make them potentially be like, oh, I like actually he's really friendly. I, I didn't I didn't you know, he's way, way nicer than I thought. And then from then on, our working relationship was easy, which is what I wanted. And so to me, that wasn't fake. That was just being the best version of myself, like communicating to that person who I believe I really am. Right. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you're not going to do it for yourself, if you care about your profession and your job and your career and being a creative, you do it because it you're providing a much happier, better service for your client by making them feel good about the interactions you have. So even if it's not you, you know, inherently, why is it a bad thing to develop better communication skills. You're learning, you're growing, you're becoming a better person for what is the most important thing in your life, which is your ability to be a creative, right? Yeah. Well, again, I think it's, I think a lot of that is fear. People, it's like, like I said earlier, people use the excuse of, well, I'm, I'm going to keep it real. I'm not going to be fake when really it's like, well, that's way outside my comfort zone. And I'm afraid to go there because it makes me really uncomfortable and I might fail, which yeah. is fine. I mean, we all do things that are outside our comfort zone, but to me, the nothing good comes easy. If you want to do something great with your life, you're going to have to step outside your comfort zone. And guess what? I would say that a hundred percent of people that put in the effort to have better communication and people skills are very happy they did it. Like, have you ever, ever in your life heard of someone be like, man, what a fucking waste of time. Like, <laughs> I spent a year trying to be better at getting along with people, and that was the stupidest thing I ever did. I should have stayed home and played my drums. Yeah, well, it, it, because it, it just makes everybody else feel good, and like that that's a very valuable thing. It's like we're all in this shit together. It helps to be able to be around other people that are um, – that are positive and that are uplifting, that are that are there to lend a hand when they need it. I'm trying to word this correctly, but it's it's like, okay, for someone who is an introvert who doesn't like to talk to people. I think about those experiences that I've talked about before where like if I go to a, a supermarket or something and I'm ordering at the deli, before I order, I always ask the person, hey, how are you? Like, how's your day? Which catches people oftentimes that are introverted off guard because they don't know how to respond. But when I engage with them, it forces them to then respond and usually it puts a smile on their face. So if that, here's my, here's, now I don't see this happening, but my, my hope is that like for that person through that interaction, they were like, oh my God, somebody asked me a question and it made me feel good because they asked if I talk to other people, maybe they'll ask too and I'll feel better because I have positive interaction with people throughout the day. So like maybe by simply just be like you did starting small talk or getting involved with people in your community, having genuine conversations. It's, it's not to just like, you know, I remember there was a response. Remember when we were talking about this with the punk rock NBA and I posted about like asking someone yeah. how their day is and saying what's up. And there was a response from someone we know who was like, well, maybe they don't want to fucking talk. <laughs> it's like, okay, well that's obviously how you are. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe somebody needs to be asked how they're doing because no one else is asking them. And maybe it's a revelation that occurs when you ask that person how they're doing. It's like, wow, people do care and interaction is good. And maybe if I step out of my comfort zone and interact more, I'll have more of those experiences that are actually 
better, you know? So I don't know. I mean, as my mom used to say, practice random acts of kindness, which when I was a kid sounded like a stupid, corny, hippie thing to say. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh, it turns out she was right. Just like she was right about almost everything else. <laughs> yeah. Next time you get a coffee or, you know, you're in a drive through, pay for the person behind you without them knowing and just walk out. You'll be amazed at how good that makes you feel. So if you can sort of emulate that mentality or, or that ex- that experience just by simply having a conversation with somebody by like, you know, saying, hey, how are you? Or like, how was your day? Or like, oh, that's a really, hey, man, that's a really cool jacket. Or like, hey, I like your hat. Or just something as simple as that can be a great uh, skill to practice for somebody who isn't necessarily good at that to get better at interpersonal relations, you know, and, and interpersonal communication. Or if you're a periphery fan, stand uncomfortably close and say something about your dick. Right. Tell, tell us, tell, yeah. Don't tell me you have a boner. It doesn't work. <laughs> it's the fastest way for me to walk away from you. You know, your Which, favorite thing <laughs> still, oh man, it like happens all the time. I, I started deleting comments and blocking people on Instagram when they post about their dicks or like when they say something like, oh man, I just came. It's like, oh, I, I delete that stuff too because like my sister-in-law reads that stuff and she's not weird. She's going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? My niece is 10 years old. She's yeah. on Instagram. She's going to read this and I don't want her seeing that. It's like just because you think you're being gross funny doesn't mean it's good for everybody who's reading this. It's just, so uh, so there, the, the lesson is there's a right and wrong way to make small talk and engage with people. I mean, imagine if like you're at a client meeting and like – you you know you're, you're presenting an idea, and the person you're presenting to is like, "Oh man, that's so sick! I think I have a boner right now." It's like, do you want to work with that person? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, I don't know if I would. Yeah, I would. I would fake. Oh my god, my I just got a text that my cat is uh, is sick. I gotta go. I would just bail right in the middle of the meeting. I was on the phone with my business manager uh, yesterday and he was telling me some stuff about taxes and it was like, you know, it, it, it was good news. Like imagine if my response was, oh man, that's such good news. I seriously just came. It's like, dude, he would get off the phone with me so fast. And he, and he works with musicians. Right. But why is it okay for a fan to come up to me, be like, oh my God, dude, it's, it's, oh man, uh, like... I have a boner right now. Can I shake your hand? It's like, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. The last thing I want to do is touch your hand after you tell me you have a boner. <laughs> like, come on, man. Anyway, we're getting, we're getting off track, but yeah. yeah, it's just, it's so important to develop communication skills, interpersonal skills, um, try to develop emotional intelligence when you are, going down the path of an entrepreneur or a creative that's providing a service or a product for other people, because no matter what, you're going to have to interact with others. You're going to have to ask for opportunities. You're going to have to take advantage of opportunities that present themselves. And you want people, you know, reviews are such a huge thing. Now it's like, if you want a good review, you don't have to go crazy. You don't have to, you know, be out there like we talked about. You just have to listen to your customers, be able to provide a good service, and you'll be good. But again, that takes all those skills that I just mentioned, I think. Well, that sounds like a good note to end it on to me. I've taken up enough of your time. Any last parting words of wisdom or anything else you want to leave the the audience with? 
Just don't go up to your favorite artist and tell them you have a boner ever or anything like that. Don't go up to anybody under any circumstances other than maybe your wife or husband or whoever. Potential, that's between you guys, but don't do it to anybody else. Yeah, it's like, you know, if you have ED and it's been months of that. <laughs> right, that could be sudden, good news. Yeah. All of a sudden you get a boner. It's like, babe, babe. I got one. Like, <laughs> right. Okay. You get a pass. But yeah, right. you're right. Keep it light. Keep it professional. Don't make people uncomfortable. That's the biggest thing. So yeah, it, it's a shame we have to say that, but it's amazing how many people I encounter that say shit like that to me thinking that it's going to like be a part of some inside joke. Well, <laughs> that inside joke doesn't exist. <laughs> there we have it. No, this was great. Whoever's listening, I hope it's helpful. Either way, it's it's been great to catch up with you, Finn. So always, uh, it's it's always awesome. So I'm glad we got to talk about this stuff for sure. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you, thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. This is the rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The Rock of the Buzzer. WMMS. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.